put that back up. We're going to pray before we get uh, before we get going. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together and bless the reading of His Word. Father, we love you. We God, we just uh, we come before you this morning and just ask that you would uh, be with the reading of your Word. That you be with us, Lord, as we uh, as we just. Uh, point our hearts toward you and we point our minds toward you and we just focus on what you have for us god you've been uh, ministering to us through this uh, through this letter that you've sent to your church to give us the assurance that we know who we are in christ and uh, help us to understand the evidence of that uh, of that knowledge that's in our lives and we just pray god that you would use your word uh, to uh, to shape us today and we know that you will you promised that you would and so, Father, we just uh, we thank you. We thank you already for your promise that uh, your word is not going to go. Uh, it's not going to go out and return void. Uh, we just ask that you would uh, prepare us today to hear it, both in, in this service and the next service, and even tonight. Already looking forward to an entire week of just basking in, in your glory and what you've done for us. And we thank you for that, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, 1 John chapter 3, uh, I'm probably going to just read the first three verses, and that's as far as we'll get. But uh, the reality is that it, it, verses 1 through 10 are actually one, one unit that I probably should take all together. It all goes together, but there's just so much in there. I'm not going to have time uh, this morning to go through it all, so we'll save some for, uh, for next week for sure. But if, uh, if you remember, if you were here last week, uh, chapter 2 ended with some really serious encouragement for us. It ended uh, letting us know that we've got everything that we need in the gospel. We've got everything that Christ has to offer. Uh, and that's, a, that's kind of a bold statement. I'm not saying, remember, we're not saying that you're not going to grow. We're not saying that you're not going to grow closer to God or m- grow more mature in your Christian faith. But uh, you're a sinner saved by grace today. You're a sinner saved by grace the day that you were saved. You'll be a sinner saved by grace when you stand before God. And so that's, uh, he's given us everything. And the problem was, of course, you know by now that, uh, that there were people coming in saying, no, we have the higher thing. You need to follow us because we have something that you're missing. And John made it pretty clear in chapter two that uh, if that's you, you might as well be trying to sell ice to Eskimos or something. We don't need what you're peddling. We don't need what you're selling. We've got uh, we've got the gospel. We have perfect relationship with the father. We have Christ and we have him crucified. We have him resurrected. We have him ascended to the throne of grace where he led us to that throne. And we have now been seated in heavenly places in Christ. And we have all spiritual blessings in Christ. And so we have everything that we need. There is absolutely nothing that the believer, the born again child of God is lacking. There is absolutely nothing that they need in order to, uh, to stand before God, to be assured of their salvation, to understand their perfection in Christ. And he gave us a single command in chapter two. It was one command. The only thing you need to do is you need to abide. That's the word that he used. He said, you need to abide. You need to abide in Christ him alone. You need to abide in that which you heard from the beginning. That's what he told us in chapter two. So you need to abide in the gospel. You need to live in it. You need to remain in it. You don't need to move off from it thinking that you're trying to get something more, get something else, uh, get some better fulfillment, some better happiness, some better joy, some higher relationship with God, some higher spiritual, whatever it is. You could characterize it uh, a bunch of different ways. He said, but what you have is perfection. What you have is Christ and you need to abide in him. So today, just in these first three verses in chapter three, we're going to look at John's going to tell us what this abiding looks like. 
He's going to tell us what it means to abide. It's one thing for me to say, hey, guys, you need to abide. Well, you need to tell me the nuts and bolts of it. I need to understand what it means to to abide and what he's going to do. And then actually it's the verses one through 10. He's going to show us what it looks like, uh, what it, what, what he has done for us. We need to abide in what we have our hope in. We need to abide in and what it looks like as we're walking this thing out through this life, we're going to abide in. So the first thing, let me just read all three verses and then we'll, we'll go from there. It says, behold, what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called The sons of God, we are his children. We have been adopted into his family. He says, therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifieth himself even as, as he is pure. The first thing you see, it's almost like John has just told us we have everything in Christ. He's just told us you don't need these guys coming, peddling this, uh, this new thing, this higher thing, this quote unquote better thing. You don't need this stuff. He says, you've got the gospel. You need to abide in what you've heard from the beginning. You need to abide in Christ. And now it's almost like in, cha- in verse one of chapter three, it's almost like it's almost like John is almost amazed at the, what he has already said. He said, behold, look, I want, need you to look. Look at what manner of love that the Father has bestowed upon us. Now, if you remember in chapter 2, John made a distinction between us and them, didn't he? He said, they went out from us. And because they were not of us. He said, but you have an unction from the Holy One. You have an anointing that that teach you all things. And so he made a distinction between us and them. And he says, now I need you to look. I need you to pay attention at what manner of love that the Father has bestowed upon us. Those who have trusted in Christ. Those who have been born again. He said, this is the love that he showed us that we should be called the sons of God. Now, I I recognize all of your faces. Uh, We all know each other. We've heard about the adoption that we have as sons. We've heard that we are part of God's family. But I need you to kind of look at it with new eyes today. Look at it with the amazement that John is writing as he's writing to, you know, he's, he's probably writing this letter and he's thinking people that have never heard this letter that have never heard about their adoption. He's explaining it to them. And he is, he's just in awe saying, behold, what manner of love has God bestowed upon us that we would be called the sons of God. It doesn't take, doesn't take much brain power to think about what it means to be adopted into Christ's family. I mean, in the, in the ancient world, adoption was kind of like this, like it is today. It's really not that much different. Uh, we could talk all about that, but you kind of know what adoption is. But what, what, what he's saying here, and if you've ever been adopted or adopted children or been in the courtroom when children were adopted, you know, there, there's something that, that goes on right there. That, that child becomes part of the family. He's not a second class citizen. He or she's not a second class citizen. They're not one who is working to, to make sure that they have to stay in the family. They're, they're not ones who need to be afraid of ever leaving the family. When you're adopted into a family, you become a child of that family. We hear stories. I've heard stories uh, from a lot of people that have adopted children, uh, people that I know and people that I've just read that have written about it. Uh, they said that, you know, if the child was, you know, n- 
foster home to foster home or maybe living on the streets or whatever. Uh, when they adopted the child, I mean, legally adopted, this child is now part of our family. They would go in the room and they would catch the child hoarding food under the bed or in the closet somewhere just because they weren't really sure that this is where they were going to stay. Weren't really sure where that next meal was coming from. And they would have to go and explain to that child, hey, you're part of this family forever. What's mine is yours. You can go into the refrigerator anytime you get ready. You can go into the cabinet anytime you get ready. You're not going to have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. You're not going to have to worry about us booting you out the front door. You have been adopted. And that means you are part of this family. And John is looking at this and he's saying, you've been adopted into God's family. Now, I know these guys are coming and they're saying, oh, you need something else and you need to you need this new thing and you need what we got. He said, but you need to understand you're an adopted child. You're part of God's family. Everything that is his is now yours. You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. The inheritance that is set up for you is incorruptible. There's nothing that can defile it. There's nothing that can corrode it. There's nothing that can make it fade away. It is reserved for you in the heavens. You are an adopted child. You have been made part of his family, part of his kingdom. Now, if you've ever been, <clears throat> I've been in a courtroom a couple times when families have adopted children. And uh, uh, some of y'all may have experienced adoption your own self. I know you have. Um, the judge, when you adopt a child, he makes sure you understand a few things before you adopt a child. He, he, uh, he says, now, now you understand that, that this, is not a, this is not something you can turn around. This is not something you can go back on. This child will for, will for now and forever bear your name. This child will now and forever be uh, an heir of everything that you have. It is this child is now your responsibility to provide for. This is as if you had birthed this child. The judge makes sure you understand before you sign that paper, before you adopt a child. This is your child. This is not a second class citizen. This is not. This is in some instances, in some states, they actually change the birth certificate from the biological parents to your name. When you adopt a child, it's as if you were born into this family. You are you are responsible. And so when when we think about being adopted into into Christ's family, it. It's actually kind of amazing. I mean, when you think of when you think of adopting a child, you think of I, I don't know exactly how it works, but what I think of is, you know, you go to the adoption agency and you look at the pictures and, you know, ooh, this one's cute. I'm going to look at this one, this, this cute little girl, this cute little baby, this whatever. And you pass by some and you and you pick others. And I want to see this, this one and this one, maybe this one. She has pretty eyes or or maybe you maybe a person goes and says, you know, uh, this child really is in need. They they need someone to care for them. They're they're hurting and they've had a horrible life. And I just want to give myself and and that that's always loving and it's always generous to adopt and it's always, always that. But what you need to understand is that that wasn't the case when God adopted you because you weren't lovely and you weren't cute and you weren't good and you weren't worth adopting and neither was I. Can you imagine it was, it was God coming and adopting someone who hated him? 
It was God coming and adopting his absolute enemy. He gave, he created you. He created me. And so he gave us life. He gave us breath. He didn't just create you and then back off like he's a watchmaker that, that made it, wound it up and letting it run down. He created you and he is intimately involved in every beat that your heart makes. He's intimately involved in every breath that your lungs draw in and exhaled. Colossians chapter one says he is upholding everything. By the power of his hand, by the strength of his might, he's upholding everything. So the only reason why your heart's still beating today is because God says, heart, you need to beat today. The only reason why you're still drawing breath is because God says that it should be. He said, let it be so. And so he gave us life. He gave us breath. He gave us everything that we have. He is still giving us everything that we have. And we rebelled against him. We rebelled against him. We said, I refuse to worship you. It doesn't matter if those words ever came out of your mouth. The Bible calls you when you are uh, apart from Christ, when you're absent of grace, when you are when you are outside of Jesus Christ and him crucified. You are an enemy of God in your wicked works. You're alienated from him. The Bible says that we are all we have all been enemies of God. Romans three says there's no one that does good, not even one. No one seeks him, no one righteous. So what happened was God created you. God sustained your life. And in turn, you and I, this is us, all of us together. You and I turned around as we were sitting on God's lap and we continually slapped him in the face. We continually tried to dethrone him off of his throne and take our place on the throne of our own life and say, you know what? I'm in control. I'm in charge of my own life. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to obey your commands. I am the one who is in control of my own life. We continually subverted his authority. We continually cussed him. We cursed him. We continually spit in his face. We continually slapped his authority and he chose to adopt us. Think about this for a minute. Let's say you're going to adopt a child and you walk into the orphanage where the children are and you're looking at the children. And, you know, I've heard stories of children that have grown up in orphanages saying, you know, when someone would come, they would just be all excited. And and, and maybe this is they're going to take me home. And, you know, and so imagine yourself going into the, the orphanage. And there's this one kid that every time you walk in, he's he's almost hanging on the on the door frame of his room, cussing you out, spitting in your face, throwing things at you, knowing that if 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 he had the opportunity, he would take every opportunity to destroy you, to take everything that you have, to make sure that you had absolutely nothing uh, that you had worked for, absolutely nothing. He would do whatever it takes to kill you, destroy you, make sure that you were nothing, uh, slap you in the face every time you turned around and you turned and said, that's the one that I want. That's the child that I want to adopt. It almost doesn't even make sense. You would, you and I would never say that's the one I want, but that's the love that the father bestowed upon us that we might be, should be called the sons of God because it wasn't just, Oh, look at Jenny. She's so cute. Oh, I want to adopt her and bring her into my, my, my family and my house. No, it was, I'm going to take this absolute enemy of me who has done everything in his little bitty power to try to dethrone me, which is of course impossible, but it didn't stop us from trying when we were alienated from God. He said, I'm going to take this person who hates me. 
I'm going to take this person who's an enemy of God in their works, in their mind, in their heart, and I'm going to adopt them into my family. I'm going to adopt them. I'm going to change their heart and they will be an heir with my son. God only has one natural son, the son. The father only has one son, but he has adopted many brethren to be co-heirs with that son and give us the righteousness that that son has earned as God and man. The incarnation is something, it's something so beautiful. You can't wrap your minds around it. God himself, God, the son took on a human nature, a human flesh came to this earth. And you know, the story he perfect, never sinned. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. And he ascended back to the father. And when he ascended back to the father, he ascended as God and man. It was the first time in the universe, the first time in God's created order that a man came to the throne of God and was accepted by God and received glory from God and sat down at the right hand of the father. And when he ascended in that state, in his perfection, in his righteousness, he took us with him. Those who trust him, he took us with him. We have been seated in heavenly places in Christ. We have received all spiritual blessings in Christ. We have been adopted as sons and heirs of Christ, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. He was the firstborn of many brethren. And that is the love that the father has bestowed upon us. It's one thing to express love by saying, oh, I'm going to adopt this child or that child. That is uh, an expression of love. It's always an expression of love to adopt a child. It's always an expression of generosity to adopt a child. But God bestowed the love upon us that he adopted us when we hated him. When we rebelled against him, when we did everything we could possibly do to run away from him, to to be in charge of our own lives. And so it says in verse one, it says you can see where John is just he's it's almost sounding like he's amazed. Would you look? Would you please look at what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? We are in him Perfect. He looks at us. You've heard me say it a million times. He looks at us who have believed in Christ, who have trusted his name, who have been born again by the spirit of God. He looks at us just like he looks at his own son. He can look at you and look at me and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Not because I'm so good, not because I've done anything righteous, not because I've done anything at all, but because Jesus Christ has paid for my sin and given me his righteousness. And so we have been adopted. There's a story that I heard. I don't know if it's true or not. It's just a story. Uh, but this uh, this uh, couple was a uh, wanted to have a child really, really bad. And, and for years they tried to have a child and weren't able to. And so they decided to adopt a child and, uh, they, they went through, it's a huge process that takes a long, long time to adopt a child. And while that process was going, they're almost ready to adopt this child. She actually gets pregnant herself. And so now she's got an adopted child and she's got a re- her own child, her biological child. And so, you know, it was all good. They had both children. They grew up in the family. Everything was fine. Everything was wonderful. And then uh, uh, some guy, they were playing in the front yard one day and a guy came up to her, one of her, one of the neighbors. And and he says, now, now, which one of those kids is really yours? And the mother said, well, they're both mine. 
And he said, oh, well, I know, I know, I know. But what I mean is, which one is the adopted one and which one is the biological one? And she said something that was amazing. She said, you know, I forgot. I don't really remember which one was which. And understand what, what she, I mean, I'm sure she didn't forget, but her point was clear. Both of those children are my children. Both of those children belong in my family. Both of those children are, as far as I'm concerned, they are my children. And God sees you as an adopted son, adopted daughter of him. He sees you the same way that he sees his own son. I I probably, I, I just don't have the words to explain how amazing, how amazing that is. Now, imagine if you're holding on to this amazing truth, this this wonder of the universe that God the Father has bestowed this love upon us that he would call us his son and call us his daughter. And and we hated him. We sinned against him, but he sent his own son to pay for that. Imagine you're holding on to this truth and somebody walks in and says, well, that's kind of cute. You got that going. That's real. But we know we got the deeper thing. You probably need to come follow us. I don't know. You probably get shocked if you were if you were you if you were John, you would probably take such offense to that. And so what he's saying here, he said he's continuing from chapter two saying saying somebody's saying that you need something more. Oh, no, 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 no. Look at the love that the father has shown you. Look at the love that the father has shown us that we should be called the sons of God. And we are the sons of God. We are the children of God. We have been adopted into his family. He chose to adopt us. We are co-heirs and we have all the rights. We have all the, the, the status that his own son has. I, you, you could spend your whole life. You could spend your whole life trying to wrap your mind around that and you never get it. You'll never get it. We're going to spend eternity trying to wrap our minds around that. The fact that we now in Christ, born again by the spirit of God, when the father looks at me, when the father looks at you, he sees his own son. He sees perfection. We have been adopted into that family and we have all the rights, all the privileges, All the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. So there's no promise in that book that is not yours if you have been adopted by by the father. And so he says, look, what manner of love is this that he's bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? And he says, and of course, this is why the world doesn't know you. This is why the world knoweth us not because it didn't know him. Of course, there are people coming in and they don't understand that you have everything. Of course, there's people that are going to try to lead you off the path to to whatever it is that they're following. Of course, there's people that are going to say, you know what? I don't really understand why those folks are rejoicing so much. I mean, we're the ones that are a whole lot smarter than them. We're the ones that have the higher spirituality and we're the ones that are closer to God than them. I don't know. I don't understand why they think that they've got something so amazing. Of course, they don't know. They don't know you because they don't know him. Because we know that when Christ saves you, when your heart is changed, when the spirit indwells you, you are called now to deny yourself. You're called to pick up your cross. You're called to follow Christ, to be a servant of him, a slave of him. Rather, you're called to be his servant. And to be honest, by world, by worldly standards, that don't look like too much fun. 
by worldly standards, that looks like you're missing out on something. But we know, we know who are heavenly minded. We know that who Christ has saved. We know that the world has nothing to offer. We know that we have everything and there's nothing, there's nothing that we're missing out on. In fact, the world is what's missing out on. And so when people come in and they say like what was happening in first John, when they say, you know, uh, it's, it's great that you started out with Jesus. It's great that you have the gospel, but now you kind of need to move on into the higher stuff, the higher level, the, the deeper stuff. You need to kind of get on beyond all that kind of stuff. It, uh, of course, that's going to happen because the world don't know you. They don't know, they don't understand what you've been given. They don't understand this love that the Father's bestowed upon you. They don't understand the adoption as sons. They don't understand the redemption that you have. And you know what? They don't understand it because they didn't understand it when Jesus was around. When they looked at him, they saw a carpenter. They saw a a beaten and bloody man. They saw a poor old soul. Look at him. They saw somebody who couldn't even save himself. They saw somebody who was an executed criminal. They saw somebody who was weak and, and meek and, and didn't stand up for himself and couldn't even protect his own self. But we know that he himself laid his life down. And we know that it was, in fact, him who gave himself on the cross and allowed himself to be beaten. Uh, they don't know you because they didn't know him. They couldn't see him as king of kings and lord of lords as he was, even as he was walking around in in Jerusalem and Galilee. They couldn't see. All they could see was the outside. This poor guy that don't even have a place to lay his head. This poor guy that's walking around, don't own anything. He's got his little followers and most of them are going to turn on him. And all they could see was the outside. This poor little guy, this poor guy crucified by the Romans. How could you follow him? And they look at you and they see the outside. You know, sometimes believers, you're called to suffer. You're called to stand against things in the world. You're called to to say no to things that the world is going, hey, this is good for you. This is wonderful. And when people see you stand against that, they see you suffer for Christ's name. They see you be persecuted, being persecuted. They see you denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him. They're going, I don't understand that. I don't understand why that you're so radical about this thing. I don't understand why that you're, you're being like this. I don't understand why that, that you think that you have to be so uh, uh, crazy in the midst of this world. And the reason is because they're only looking at the outside. They're only looking at what they see on the outside, not what you have been given on the inside. They don't see the fact that you now have a new heart. You now have a new mind. You now are a new creature and you don't see things the same way. You don't view things the same way. You understand that this life is just a vapor and it doesn't make any sense to invest anything in this vapor other than building the kingdom of God storing up treasures for us in heaven, understanding that Christ is building his church. That's really the only thing in this life worth investing in because everything else is going to burn up. Everything else is going to be made new. It's going to be made again. Everything else is going to disappear. The only thing that's going to remain is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and, 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 his righteousness. And then, you know what? All that other stuff's just going to be added. You're not going to have to worry about it. And so he says, look, yeah, look at this love that God has given you, that he's made you a son, that he's made you a daughter, that he's adopted you. And if that's true and it is true, of course, the world's not going to know you. Of course, they're going to come in and try to tell you different. 
They don't know him. So they're not going to know you either. And so the next thing he's going to do, the last thing I want to show you before we have time, it's already 15 till. um, He's going to show us three things that we need to abide in. And what it's going to amount to is the past, the present and the future. He's going to tell us the three. um, What's the best way to put it would be the three aspects of your salvation. Uh, If you like big words, they're called justification, sanctification and glorification. But what it means is you have been saved, you're being saved, and one day you're going to be perfectly saved. And so that, that's basically what it means. He says in verse 2, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now, you can't really get past that now. Right now, if you've trusted in Christ, if you have been born again by the Spirit of God, you are the son of God. You are the daughter of God. Beloved, now are we the son of God. He's telling you right now. I don't care what kind of persecution you're enduring. John did not know every person that would read this letter in the first century. He didn't know every single person that uh, personally that would get his letter and and start reading it. He certainly didn't know all the people for 2000 years that would be reading it. And he said, listen, if you've been born again, you are a son of God. If you've trusted in him and you've been changed by him, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are the son of God. But what if I don't feel like a son of God today? It doesn't make any difference. God's word says, if you've been born again, you are a child of the king. You've been adopted into the family. You've been grafted into the tree. I can go on and on and on with the metaphors that the Bible uses about how you have been brought near to the commonwealth of Israel, to the promises of God, to the covenant of the king. You have been brought into this. And you know what? When you get up and you got a headache and some moron cuts you off in traffic and you know you just don't really feel like a child of the king, that doesn't change God's word, not one bit. And so no matter what persecution, no matter what, no matter what suffering, no matter what trials happen in this life, no matter what the world does, you turn on the news. I hadn't watched it all week because it's just there's no sense in it. You turn it on and it just makes your whole day jacked up. Uh, Can I say jacked up? Okay, thank you. It doesn't make any difference. I'm not saying that we should detach ourselves. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying saying no matter what goes on, he hadn't given us spirit of fear. We know that he is in control. We know that we have been adopted as sons. And it doesn't make any difference. Right now, we are the sons of God. If they outlaw, right now, they, I heard that they outlawed Christianity or the gospel or evangelize or something like that in Russia. If they do that here and we start getting seriously persecuted, you know what? We're still the sons of God. We're still adopted into the family. We're still part of his kingdom. And we, there's nothing in the world that can change that. There's no circumstance that can come into your life that can change that. If you have been born again, that's the thing. If you have been born again, we know it's a lot of people running around here saying I'm a Christian and not really. So if you've been born again, there's nothing that can change that. It says now we are the sons of God and we also have a hope for the future. It says it, it doesn't, it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know, we know that when he shall appear, when he breaks through the clouds, when he comes and we stand before him, we shall be like him 
for we shall see him as he is. You know what that's saying? That's saying right now you've been given perfection in your position before the father. When you stand before the father, father looks at you and right now he looks down at you in his perfection in Christ. Perfection in the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. But you and I know that as we're walking around, we're not exactly perfect yet. That's one of the evidences that you've been born again. Sin hurts. Sin. We hate sin. But there's coming a day when we will be perfect. We'll be perfect in our practice. There won't be any more sin in my life. Not when not when eternity gets here and I stand before him and I'm walking on the streets of gold, new heavens, new earth. Won't be any more sin in my life. Won't be any more trials, won't be any more pain. It won't be anything but glory in the presence of God as we see him as he is and we walk with him just like Adam did at the very beginning, the way it was supposed to be. We walk with him in the cool of the day. We get to see him face to face. He's surrounded by his children. We won't even need lights in the city because he'll be the light and we'll be there with him eternally. He says, look, right now you are a son of God. And We're not exactly sure what we're going to look like, but what we are sure of is we're going to look like him. The way that he is. Jesus lived perfectly, never sinned, never, never broke God's law. Perfect fellowship, perfect relationship with his father. And we are that in position. Christ gave it to us. But there's coming a day when we're going to be that in practice as well. We're going to be that walking it out forever And ever and ever and ever we're going to be. We have that hope. He says, so look, you need to understand there's folks coming in. They're telling you you're missing something right now. You've got everything. You're the son of God. We we saw that in chapter two. And not only that, this love that the father has bestowed upon us is so great that right now you're the son of God. But you have a hope and a promise that one day when either when you pass away from this earth or when Christ breaks through those clouds, one day you will be made perfect in every respect, in every area, in every area of your life, in your thinking, in your heart, in your mind, in your actions. There's coming a day when you will be made perfect. What do, what do they have to offer you? What are these guys saying you're missing something to have to offer you? What are they saying that you're missing when right now you are everything that God has ever intended for you to be? And one day you'll be walking it out in practice. What are they offering you that you're trying to follow after them? He says, we don't know yet what will be, but we know that when he appears, we're going to be like him because we'll see him as he is. So that's the that's in the past. If you've been born again. Christ came at whatever day that was, whether it was two years ago, whether it was 20 years ago, whether it was yesterday and you were born again. He says he adopted you into his family and you became a son, a daughter of God. You became a co-heir with Christ. He gave you everything, everything to stand before him boldly at the throne of grace. You have everything that's been done. It's a done deal. Nothing can change it. Nothing can overturn it. He says, and in the future, Whenever that is, whenever you actually pass from this earth and stand before him, you are going to be made what you are in position right now. You're going to be made that in your walk, in your practice, in your life. You're going to be absolutely perfect. You're going to be perfected. You're going to be the perfect version of you. Mine's going to be about 30 pounds less, but you're going to be the perfect version of you. You're going to be everything that God intended for you to be 
in practice, not just in position. But what about the meantime? Hopefully, we're going to have a lot of years before we actually have to pass from this earth. I say hopefully. I mean, it wouldn't be such a bad thing if today was the day. Not for those of us who've been born again. But it it sure would be better if we get to all go together, though. (laughs) But anyway, what do we do in the meantime? Verse 3 tells us what a born again person does. And this actually is the introduction into the rest of uh, chapter 3, but we'll get to that next week. It says, look, every man that has this hope, what hope are we talking about? We talking about having been perfected by Christ and actually having the hope of being perfect in our practice, in our walk without sin, perfected the day that we see. And we're talking about being justified once for all, never has to be redone, never has to be uh, fixed, never has to be modified. It is finished is what Jesus said on the cross. And we're talking about being glorified one day when we stand before him and we receive the crown of life that he promised us. But here it says, every man that has this hope, this hope in him, what does he do? He purifies himself as he lives here on this earth. And we're going to see that it's kind of an introduction into the next verses, but it says he purifies himself. Now, I want to make this clear because this is going to be very important. John is going to slip into in the rest of this chapter. He's going to slip into uh, giving us the evidence of how we know that we are the sons of God. It's it's great for you to to applaud. It's great for you to nod your head in agreement and say amen when we're talking about the sons of God and, and how the inheritance that they have and, and, and all that. But the real question is, how do I know if I am one? Especially in this part of the country, lots of people running around saying, I believe in Jesus. Look at what John says here. This is not a command. Hey, guys, since y'all have this hope, y'all best be purifying yourself. This is not a suggestion. You know, you you guys really ought to be purifying yourself if you have this hope. This is a statement of fact. It says every man, everyone, every person, every man, woman, child, boy, girl, everybody that possesses this hope that has been changed in their heart. Everybody is purifying himself. Right now, as he's walking around, he is being sanctified is the big word if you need that. He is purifying himself. He has, we, we, we've heard it a million times here, thankfully. It says, we have been made a new creature and now our hearts hate sin. Our hearts hate displeasing God. I read something the other night that was kind of profound. It, it, I don't remember who wrote it, but it says, if you, if you, if you are afraid to sin because you're afraid to go to hell, you're not really afraid of. No, it says if you hate sin because you don't want to go to hell, he says you actually hate burning, not sinning. The believer hates sinning. He hates displeasing God. It's not just about, oh, I, I want to do good enough so I can go to heaven. I want to do good enough so God will love me. And God, no, if you're a child of God, that's been done. It's done deal. We've already seen that. 
But you have a spirit inside of you, an unction inside of you, John called it, an anointing inside of you that John called it, that you now are a new creature and you have a desire to follow Christ, to serve Christ, to become more and more obedient to Christ. This idea that I can live in sin and love sin and say, you know what? I know I'm not, God doesn't want this for me, but you know what? So what? I'm going to do it anyway. That doesn't make you lost. That shows that you lost. You understand? He says, every man, every human being that possesses this hope is purifying himself. Even as he talking about Christ is pure. Now I I would urge you before next Sunday, read the neck all the way down to verse, verse 10, because those are some of the scariest verses in the new Testament. It's going to say, look, you can't say to me, As you're walking after sin that you know Christ, you can't say it. It's impossible. And so what we see here is before we get into that, these first three verses, John has said, you know what, guys, you've got, if you're a believer, you've got everything. You have been given perfection in the justification of God. He has, he has put it on you. uh, The status of perfection, the status of being in Christ adopted into the family, heir of righteousness and inheritance that can't be corrupted or fade away. All those things are yours. And besides that, you have the hope that one day you are going to actually walk out what you've been given. You're going to be made perfect where there's no more sin and there's no more suffering and there's no more displeasing God. And you're going to see him face to face and walk with him in the cool of the day. That is your hope. But right now, as you are here, if you have that hope, if it has been born in you, if the spirit of God dwells in you, you are purifying yourself. There is no other option. There is no circumstance that mediates saying, well, I'm trying to this or that. I'm not saying you're perfect. That, that defies the meaning of the word purifying. It's an ongoing thing. Every day you are purifying yourself. You are seeking to be obedient to Christ. Not to win his favor, not to win his salvation, but because you have been made a new creature. John makes this blanket statement about everybody. There's no one exempt. There's no one that's outside the norm. Well, you know, there are some people. No, every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. Every single one. So the question here today, you've been given this morning, you've been given two sides of the coin. The first is, listen, if you are a believer, there's absolutely no reason for you to ever think that there's something you're lacking. You desire to grow. You desire to mature. You desire to learn more. I got that. It's nothing wrong with that. But standing before the father, if you have Christ, you have everything that the father requires for you to be righteous before him. There's nothing you're lacking. So when somebody comes along with a new book, somebody comes along with a new teaching series that says, we're finally going to unlock that secret. If it ain't about Jesus and him crucified, chunk it in the trash. And so you've been given everything, everything. The question you have to answer this morning is, is this written for me? Because if you're a child of God, it is written for you and you can rejoice in it. But the evidence that you have been given everything and that you have this hope dwelling in you 
is that you are purifying yourself. You're walking in his ways. You are you have a heart that desires to keep his commands. We saw that in chapter one. You have a heart that desires to walk after his statutes. You have a heart that loves him. What God calls sin, I hate. I make no excuses for it. I make no whatever. I don't try to bend so I can get my own way. I don't do any of those things. I hate what God calls sin. I love what God loves. That is the evidence. Are you doing it perfectly? Are you? No, no, you're not. But you have a heart that desires, that's chasing after righteousness. Not the righteousness that gets you into heaven, but the walking around living righteousness. I want to live righteously. Like Brother Johnny preached the other night. The Holy Spirit, the grace that brings salvation It's going to be teaching you to deny ungodliness and to live holy and righteously in this present world. The question you have to ask yourself today is not how good am I doing? I can answer that for you right now. Y'all ain't doing very good. The question you have to ask yourself is, do I have evidence that God has changed my heart? And if God has changed your heart, if God has made you a new creature, you have everything you need. For life and godliness, you have everything that you need in the gospel to stand before Christ unashamed, boldly go to the throne of grace. You have everything. He has not given you a spirit of fear, power. You have every reason to take every single one of these promises that we read over and over again and claim it and own it and possess it. Because Christ has made you an heir of it. But the question is, is this written for me? It's written to believers. It's written for the born again. But is that you? It could be today. Father, we love you and we come before you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've given. We thank you for the blessings that you've rained down upon us in Christ. God, I pray that you would uh, take our hearts and you would uh, help us.